You're listening to The Luxury Item, the podcast on the business of luxury and the people and companies that are shaping the future of the luxury industry. Here's your host, Scott Kerr. Restaurants across the U.S. are assessing their future now that public dining restrictions have been lifted in most states. There's cause for optimism as so many establishments return to 100% capacity. Restaurant bookings have been rising above pre-pandemic levels nationally, and restaurant industry sales were strong in the second quarter driven by pent-up demand. But the industry still faces ongoing challenges as many restaurants are still dealing with fallout from the COVID-19 shutdowns. Staffing challenges plague the industry, especially in big cities such as New York and San Francisco, where seasoned employees left all together during the pandemic. Still, as more people get vaccinated and head out to restaurants and famed dining rooms across the U.S. reopen with very long waiting lists for tables, there's reason to be hopeful. One of those leading the charge of giving people hope for a comeback of the fine dining scene is award-winning chef Daniel Ballou. In May, he officially opened the doors to his latest restaurant, Le Pavillon, in midtown Manhattan's tallest skyscraper directly across from Grand Central Terminal. It's probably the most dynamic restaurant opening in New York City in more than a year and perhaps signals a sense of normalcy, whatever that means these days. I'm joined by two special guests today on The Luxury Item. Daniel Ballou, one of the most celebrated chefs and restaurateurs in the world, and Sebastian Silvestri, the CEO of the Dynex Group, which is the restaurant group that oversees Daniel Ballou's empire of internationally renowned fine dining restaurants in New York City and throughout the U.S. and abroad. Let me tell you a little bit about them both. A native of Lyon, France, Daniel Ballou is one of America's leading culinary authorities and one of the most revered French chefs in New York City, his home since 1982. With 13 restaurants around the world, three gourmet epiceries, and nine cookbooks to his name, Ballou is also the recipient of numerous honors, including James Beard Awards for Outstanding Chef and Outstanding Restaurateur. Since launching his own restaurant empire, Chef Ballou has sought to continue the legacy of culinary mentorship through the establishment of his own charity, the Mentor BKB Foundation, which supports both the efforts of the Bocuse d'Or Team USA as well as the international apprenticeship opportunities for talented young chefs. Ballou is also a generous supporter and co-president of City Meals on Wheels, helping to provide nutritious meals to elderly homebound New Yorkers for more than two decades. As the chief executive officer of the Dynex Group, Sebastian Silvestri focuses on defining the next era for Danielle Ballou's collection of restaurants and brands, expanding the brand portfolio through strategic acquisitions, new business development, and maintaining the excellence of the existing operations. As a respected authority in the hospitality industry, Silvestri joined Chef Daniel Ballou's award-winning restaurant group in 2019 with more than 25 years of proven experience focused on development of bold marketing strategies, effective partnerships, and brand tactics. Welcome to the luxury item, Sebastian. Daniel Ballou is going to join us shortly. Thank you, Scott. It's good to be uh, with you today. Thank you for joining me. I'm so excited. I've been uh, waiting for this day to uh, to speak with you. Um, exciting times in New York City and congratulations on the opening of Le Pavillon, which we'll talk about shortly. So Daniel Ballou brought you on as the first ever CEO of the Dynex Group in 2019. How did you first connect with Danielle? Like what mission were you entrusted with when you joined as CEO? So Scott, I, I met Danielle when I was in Las Vegas. At the time I was working at the Venetian Palazzo with Las Vegas Sands. And uh, we opened a restaurant together um, at the Venetian and then we opened one in Singapore. Mm-hmm. And uh, so Danielle was working uh, with Las Vegas Sands for over 10 years. So uh, we knew each other very well and we produce 
you know, I used to produce a lot of events in Las Vegas, a big dinner with a lot of celebrity chef and, and Daniel was always a great friend and will come in and uh, participate. And so he, he was a long, long time friend. And then um, he uh, convinced me to come and, um, and join him about two years ago now. And look, the mission really, you know, when, uh, when he reached out, he, he really he was looking for a CEO for the first time. And, and I think that was in twofold. I think the first, his first priority was to really maintain what he's built over the course of his career to maintain the excellence, you know, in all our restaurants, like, uh, like, like this, like he's done, but also to help lead the next phase of growth. You know, the, mm -hmm. um, if you look at the last two years, as, as brutal last year was with the pandemic, we managed to open a new restaurant in Dubai. Uh, with a DB brasserie there. We opened uh, in the Berkshire during the pandemic. We did a Cafe Boulou that was originally a pop-up that ended up being a permanent restaurant there. We opened with Rosewood um, in the Bahamas uh, with Cafe Boulou. And then we just recently opened the Pavillon just three months ago. So uh, when you look at uh, as brutal the pandemic was, we, um, we managed you know, to push through it and uh, and be creative and uh, and open in, in three different market outside of New York um, during the pandemic and now starting to reopen um, even some of our existing restaurants are still closed we are patiently waiting you know for Broadway the show the theater to come back before reopening uh, everything I mean some of our restaurants on the west side are contingent on uh, the Lincoln Center and Broadway so uh, uh, we're still on the uh, we're still waiting to, to reopen some of those restaurants. Yeah, and no playbook really can prepare you or anyone else in the restaurant industry for the crippling, crippling effect of the pandemic. And like many restaurants, Daniel Ballou had a rough 2020, but it's been about 17 months since we all went, maybe a little bit more since we all went into lockdown. I was wondering like, where is uh, Daniel Ballou's businesses today? So uh, look, uh, the fine dining segment, I think, is the strongest segment for us. I mean, and you know, when you think of Danielle, people think fine dining and they think of Russian Danielle. Right. So both Russian Danielle and Le Pavillon, honestly, we've been doing really, really well, even through the pandemic. You know, we, we did some to go. We did all kind of initiatives, uh, you know, to keep our team employed. And, um, and, you know, we even created our own bungalows during the winter when indoor dining was shut down. And, and right now we're remodeling as we speak today, restaurant Danielle, and we're still serving outside in the bungalows and we built beautiful bungalows with air conditionings. Guests love it. And, um, and end of next week, we should reopen restaurant Danielle. Uh, so that's very exciting because we that's did a terrific. big investment uh, in fine dining and, and, you know, and bringing the restaurant back to its uh, original grandeur and, work with Adam Tiani again on design. And so there's a spectacular Russian Daniel about to be unfold next week. Um, we have uh, Barboulou on the west side that is open, Le Pavillon that is open. Uh, we have the Epicerie Boulou at One Vanderbilt open, Epicerie Boulou on the west side and the Epicerie uh, downtown at the Oculus that is also open. And we are currently working in reopening in Washington, D.C., uh, reopening Boulou Sud uh, later this month, DBB Stro probably in October. And, uh, uh, but otherwise, most of our restaurants have reopened. We open in Toronto. Mm -hmm. We'll be there next week. We're doing our first event in Toronto at the first season next week at Cafe Boulou. We reopen um, at the Ritz Carlton in Montreal. 
and uh, so that's going. We are open in Singapore. We had a lot of up and down in Singapore with the government restriction, uh, but we open in Singapore. We open in Dubai. We open in Palm Beach. We were open through the whole pandemics, and we were very successful in 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 Palm Beach, and uh, we have really really strong performance in Palm Beach. Miami is open also with Brickle. Um, so, you know, we, we, we're getting there, we're getting, uh, we're getting uh, closer and then we also open uh, with Rosewood at Bahama and uh, we opened a few months ago and we've, we've been doing very well there. So really now the push is on reopening Boulissou, DB Bistro, our operation in DC and then we're going to open lunch at Le Pavillon uh, later this month and reopening that's that. So that's kind of where we are today. Yeah. So, you know, many restaurants were able to come up with solutions to carry them through the COVID restrictions, you know, such as outdoor dining, takeout, you know, at home cooking kits, online masterclasses. Was it more difficult for Chef Baloo fine dining locations to adapt to something like that, where there's more complex menus and expensive ingredients to repurpose? Well, we, we definitely had to think outside the box, you know, because, and Danielle for that was brilliant because, you really wanted to keep, um, and the focus was really to keep as many people employed as possible through the pandemic. So mm -hmm. we uh, started two foundations during the pandemic to, to produce charity meals, to try to keep some of our cooks employed or those that needed to work the most employed. Um, we started a, an online platform with delivery. Uh, we basically were producing meals and delivering meals all around the country. We created our own brand called TBK that was meant for that. That was uh, delivering in New York, outside New York, but also being able to ship everywhere uh, around the country. Was that and, popular? Uh, oh, during the pandemic was extremely popular. And yeah. then Danielle was also doing cooking classes every week. And we had several hundred people every week and they were buying the baskets. We were shipping the baskets with all the ingredients and the recipe, and then they will follow Danielle. And that was so fun. People loved it. So we did that for a few months and uh, it was incredible. Um, it, so we really, really pushed through uh, with a lot of, uh, you know, we had to do a lot of different initiatives um, and, and to be busy. And then as soon as we were allowed to reopen outside, um, we did a pop-up during the pandemic and, you know, we reached out to a lot of luxury brands, partners, you know, and, um, and then we basically were building bungalows outside of restaurant and uh, eating bungalow in the winter and people could come in and find refuge there and have Daniel food. And we were selling, I mean, the, the restaurant Daniel has been full and so is the pavillon uh, even during the pandemic uh, because I think New Yorkers were looking for an escape to get out of their place right. to have a good meal. So, you know, that's when Uriah has our strong fight. Uh, he's dead. I, we, we feel, I feel the opposite. I think that people really want a good meal, a nice experience, uh, especially during those difficult times. Uh, and even today, I mean, you know, there's more, you know, uh, you know, it's like every week there's more restriction coming, but we adjusted restriction. The safety of our guests and safety of our team members is always, uh, you know, obviously our priority. And at the same time, we want to give them an escape to uh, um, some of the, you know, some of the world reality and for them to have a good, good time with us. That's great. What were the customers saying to you, the ones that were able to get out and enjoy the bungalows? They loved it. They were very appreciative uh, of what uh, we were doing. And uh, honestly, uh, 
amazing feedback. Uh, you know, I, I remember in the winter, it's so cold. I mean, you know, it's like, and then people will come dress up for it. We, you know, we had those bengalos, hidden bengalos will close the drapes so they'll be comfortable in there and, um, and bringing them an amazing meal. And they were very thankful that, um, that we did all of this. And, uh, and even today, it's, uh, people are so happy to go out. You, you'll see it, uh, the way people order and the, 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 on the wine sale and people really want to have a good time getting out of uh, all the restriction they had to endure. You know, just from what you've observed, do you think their ordering behavior, what they've ordered, the amount they've ordered, has that changed at all? Yeah, like, look, when I look, I, we, I see a lot of caviar coming out of the kitchen. I see incredible <laughs> wine. I see incredible wine being ordered every day. I think people are, you know, they, they really are, uh, take, you know, treating themselves uh, when, when they're going out. And you know what, what else is crazy is like a lot of the restaurants are very, very busy. It's, it's becoming sometimes very difficult to get a reservation. Um, right. You know, it's um, sometimes we have a lot more demand that we can handle. And, and it's not only us, it's a lot of restaurants uh, in New York or the market. LA is the same thing. Uh, very difficult sometimes to get a reservation on a Friday or Saturday for dinner. So it's, uh, it's definitely a lot has changed. And, you know, taking a close look at the pandemic really prompted changes at your restaurants in terms of like service models, dining habits, and guest behaviors. Which of those changes do you think that you've seen will, will stick? Well, to, to, be a, to be honest, you know, Daniel's, I think, strength uh, over his career, of course, with his cuisine uh, himself, I think he's an incredible man. He's so well-loved. You know, I see him every night. Still, yeah. he's in the restaurant. He touch every table, take pictures with everyone, speak to everyone from the guests or the staff. Or, and, um, but, the, you know, obviously the food has been a strength, and I tell him all the time, I think one of the strengths of the group is really the quality of our food. But the service, I mean, it's so service driven. And, um, and, you know, as you know, the industry right now, the biggest challenge is to find people. And right. you've seen a lot of different industries, you've seen in the car industry, you've seen in so many different industries, uh, or even in the eye industry, even worse. So providing service is even more challenging than ever. And I would say our priority, my priority today is to make sure that we provide the same quality of service that Danielle's Russians have been known for over 30 plus years in New York City. And uh, in, it's uh, hiring the right people, mentoring those people, growing them, training them, um, and fostering this culture of service where we get to look after the guests and making sure they have a wonderful experience and uh, knowing them. And, and uh, so they come again and again, you know, it's uh, uh, when you see Danielle and he walk through the restaurants, I feel like, you know, everyone in the dining room is just so amazing to watch night after night and he's touching all the tables, speaking to all those guests and he's got story with all of them and somewhere the the kids of the parents that have become parents have got their own kids. <laughs> you know, it's just like incredible to uh uh to to, to watch that and um you know when you look at restaurants normally the life cycle of a restaurants you know you open a restaurant you're successful you pick and then you you know a restaurant like danielle has been uh uh, like Russian Danielle is the third generation. You know, we are making another investment for another 10 years there. And it's, uh, we just celebrated 28th anniversary of Russian Danielle on, on 65th and Park. And uh, uh, it is not all Russians that, that, that survive 30 years, but not only that survive, but Danielle is an institution in New York. It's one of the five best Russians probably in, in New York or in the country. And uh, 
after 30 years, he says a lot about the man and the team. Um, and uh, Daniel's got a wonderful team that has been with him for many, many years uh, in the kitchen um, and even in the front of the house, people that have been very loyal to him. And, um, and he's done a remarkable job taking care of those people and, 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 and leading them, growing them. Um, so it's very uh, humbling to watch uh, this every day. You know, I, I'll try to follow him. He's got more energy than anyone else. <laughs> yeah, it seems like it. Every time I uh, go online, he's doing something else. You know, being an inspiring leader is not only obviously good for the team, but it's also Daniel out there doing all these things. It's, it motivates you. It motivates you to go out and have fun and enjoy yourself again. No, definitely, definitely. I think he, he does more for everyone else around him as uh, he does for himself. You know, he, he you know, is the uh, president for City Million Wheel. He lead another foundation with SL Brain called Food First. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, he, he's so active, uh, you know, at work. I mean, the man get up early in the morning and then he's up until probably 1 a.m. every day. Um, and uh, it's it's incredible. Uh, it's incredible how active it is. He is for the city of New York. Uh, um, you know, it's it, it's just incredible. You know, all of uh, Daniel's restaurants have impeccable service. Did you, have you seen any changes in what customers want in terms of having the best service? Did that definition change or evolve? So- I can tell you, you know, when we reopened, the guests gave us a break maybe for a couple of weeks because they were so happy that we were open. But I think people that visit our restaurants, they always come with really high expectation, no matter if it's a casual bar or bistro or really high-end fine dining, they expect a lot from us and our team and service and all of that. So, you know, that prompted us to get on our game really quickly. Um, you know, it's, uh, you know, uh, I, yeah, I think the guests, to some degree, we all are. Uh, we, you know, it's uh, people expect us to deliver, and and um, and then we have we had to adjust. Um, yeah. And, uh, but I, I'm pleased today. You know, look, uh, we're still not where we were pre-pandemic because still a lot of our restaurants needs to reopen, but they will. But the, my goal is before the end of the year to have all our operation pre-pandemic reopen and be back in business and. Uh, I think we have a special guest uh, joining us, uh, Scott. Oh, I see. So, uh, yeah, he'll join us shortly. So, you know, like everything else, everybody had to pivot quickly and accelerate quickly their digital capabilities. It's not only obviously in the restaurant business, it's every sector um, had to transform their business. So what digital strategies did you implement to enhance sales and customer interactions over the past year and a half? Yeah, I mean, we touched a little, a little bit, you know, obviously we created a brand uh, that was a digital brand, Daniel Bolu Kitchen, as we spoke about for people that could not go out to the restaurants that wanted to have meal delivered to their home where they could place an order directly on our site. And, uh, you know, we had this partnership with Lexus where we were delivering, you know, we're doing white glove delivery, but not only in New York or in the Hamptons on the Berkshire. And also this partnership with Goldbelly that we uh, implemented where we were able to uh, produce very special dinner and get them shipped uh, all over the country. A lot of partnership with digital, diff- several different digital platform, you know, to obviously expose the brand, the new brand to um, to our guests and all those cooking classes that we did online. And Danielle were doing Zoom classes like we we spoke earlier, and then we were touching hundreds of people. People were ordering their, their their kit and their boxes, and then they were cooking along. It was really fun to to watch. Do you think uh, you'll be building out uh, a digital strategy, even though the restaurants are open again? 
the, the, the digital world is, uh, I mean, everyone is on their phone consistently, you know, so we, we try to be very active on, on, on digital. And of course, our digital strategy is important, but if you look just on social, you know, with all the brands, we try to be very active on all of the different platforms that we have to tell our story, showcase what we do. And Daniel himself is extremely active on social media and Instagram. And, uh, all right. uh, so you, you get to see a bit what we do. So yeah for sure and the gbk brand we're working into potentially expanding in different other categories um and continue the work that's been done there hello scott danielle how are you <laughs> i'm here <laughs> we, we have a special guest joining us uh chef daniel Ballou. um i really appreciate you hopping in and, and joining us we're having a good time here talking about um you know, you setting the, you, you helping us coming out of the pandemic and, you know, the opening of uh, Le Pavillon to me and congratulations on that is one of those markers in life that you'll remember the rest of your life as one of the things that sort of brought everybody together and, and showed that New York is, is back. So uh, thank you for and, that. Uh, you know, New York um, knew we do go to some uh, high and low and uh, either it's, you know, I remember 20 years ago with 9-11, that was really, really um, challenging, I will say, for our business, for our emotion, for our city. And um, But, you know, we came back strong out of it. And, you know, it's either economic turn sometime or dramatic turn. Uh, but this COVID was a real challenge, of course. And... Thanks to Sebastian. Uh, sorry, Sebastian, you joined us uh, a year before COVID. <laughs> and uh, I think he faced the biggest challenge he ever had in his life as, as a CEO because, uh, you know, usually, you know, you always think of improving business, making modifications. Right, the standard onboarding ways of getting becoming a CEO. Yeah, but uh, when, when you see... I mean, you know, the group collapsing totally and having to rebuild everything uh, all over again uh, was, of course, challenging and at the same time rewarding because I think a lot of the initiatives that Sebastian took was really, really valuable for our company and for bringing back our team and to really also um, take a new perspective on what we can do and what we should do and what we certainly have accomplished. Uh, you know, opening three restaurants in the middle of COVID was not yeah. easy. <laughs> yeah, and one thing we we're talking about is, um, before you, you came on, is, you know, you're, you're an inspiration in terms of not only the team, um, your energy and your creativity really translates to everybody who's just seeing all the work that you're doing so you know what was how did you flex your creative muscles uh to, to you know to continue to engage with customers during the pandemic well we we i mean of course i always strive for excellence and we try to strive for excellence with every level of um business we have and uh uh it starts from danielle and you know all the different brands we have up to a piece rebooter. Uh, but in, in a situation of COVID, uh, we had to rethink a little bit what is needed versus what we wish to do. And how can we fit in with what's needed? And, and how can we sort of sustain business 
even if it's not going to be the same model as we had, uh, mm -hmm. how can we sustain business and bring back our, our staff? And, and I think we were very creative. We decided to scale down Danielle to Boulis-sur-Mer and create something a little bit more approachable, a little bit more casual, a little bit more. We didn't want to be kind of forgiven that we weren't giving Danielle. We were giving a new experience. And mm -hmm. I think that was very important for us. And, um, and of course, at Barboulou as well, we build out outside structure to make the guest as comfortable as possible and as welcome as possible uh, in a situation that we knew it was not easy to make people comfortable. And uh, we really won on that side. But I think what was the most admirable moment I think was what we did for our community. Yeah. And while we were building the pavilion, uh, Mark Holliday, the CEO of SL Green, mm -hmm. called me and said, Daniel, I want to help you reopen your kitchen and I want to found a, a foundation that will help New Yorkers get meals from you and from many of my tenants in New York in the SL Green portfolio. And um, he, we started that and uh, we started to make that, meals. That, that was Food First, right? Food First Foundation. Right. right. And we did that. We did also another foundation hand in hand for our staff. Uh, that was also, I mean, we managed to raise a lot of money through um, a lot of Zoom class and through the generosity of our customer and the generosity of our partners, sponsor, who sponsor us. And, and so overall, we did, we did stay very busy being good to the community and what you know, our five boroughs of New York needed at that time. And I think that was sort of the start, the sparkle will help us believe that we could start to reopen for business. Did, um, did you find yourself gaining new customers, uh, people who yes. discovered your brand for yes. the first time? Yes. Because you, because you were out there in a different way than, than you were before. Your brand expanded digitally and, and, and obviously doing these other... Very um, much. So locally... Uh, so many people, so many young couple and people who they, they had nowhere to go but New York City. And they came from Queens, from Staten Island, from Brooklyn, from New Jersey, from Connecticut. But people will say, you know, we have never been at Danielle, but we are so happy to be here and to be able to discover your restaurant and your cuisine. Uh, even if that was in a more casual way at the beginning of Bully sur Mer right. and a little bit more approachable and maybe also, you know, there was no more dress code, there was no more barrier between who we were and what we bring to our guests. And right, like sort of democratizing. Completely. And I think that really helped us uh, create new relationship with wonderful people. And also people were coming with their children. They were really coming in small pods as well. Uh, either there were two or four. And, uh, and I think that made people feel very comfortable the way we handle it. And um, of course, with Gold Belly, nationally, we gained a lot of fan. Uh, people were following me on, on the Zoom class I was doing. I decided to do 10 Zoom class of uh, cooking class. And um and 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 this worked out very well and we raised a lot of money for city meal uh on wheel but also um uh people not only wanted to do 
the, the food I was doing and we were shipping the entire, the entire base of the meal or sometimes the recipe, if they were living too far, they had the double option to buy everything or mm -hmm. have everything shipped to them. And uh, every day, all the time, I meet someone who say, oh, I used to cook with you during COVID. And, that's, uh, yeah, that's great. And, and so they used to cook with me or they used to buy food from uh, Daniel Bury Kitchen, which was something we created as a sort of an extension of uh, that. And we did the boxes last year where mm -hmm. our manager at Daniel was driving a truck, you know, with to the Yampton with uh, boxes of food for the weekend for people so they could buy the Friday night dinner, Saturday night dinner and Sunday brunch. Mm -hmm. and, um, and that worked out very, very well also. Um, I think we were very lucky to have very loyal customers who love us and wanted to make sure they keep supporting us during this time. Yeah, I'm going to ask this question to both of you, uh, Danielle and Sebastian. Um, you know, Sebastian, we were just talking about this before. Sebastian, you were, you know, hired as CEO right before the pandemic. Um, so what lessons have you both learned about navigating these profound challenges brought on by this crisis? And I know, Danielle, you've, you know, you were here with 9-11 in New York and lived through that and managed and, and adjusted through that. So from, from this crisis, what were some of the lessons that you both learned? So I, I can give you some of my points, Scott, and then I'll turn it to Danielle. But I think uh, flexibility was 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 one, uh, and uh, and to think outside the box. You know, obviously uh, uh, there's some market that were crushed more than others. And uh, I remember we when we opened in um, in the Berkshire, I don't think that was into any of our business plan to expand the group growth outside of New York on the countryside. And then one day we got an opportunity. Uh, to open that was uh, right in the pandemic all our staff all the restaurants were shut down in New York and we decided to do a pop-up and take all our team uh, from Cafe Bulu New York um, to a Rally Chateau uh, uh, just outside two and a half hours outside of New York and we did this pop-up there that was a huge success because guess what all the New Yorkers were outside were in the country and they were they were looking for place to have you know good meals and all that and that ended up being a great, great success. Uh, so really for me was uh, flexibility, still be opportunist even in the, the darkest time and try to look for opportunity. And um, and also, you know, and that's something Danielle, during the whole time he was, the, the, his, the people came always first for Danielle, his team, his staff, uh, from the foundation, everything is done. And then you see it more than ever, while the industry is struggling for people, I think, uh, one of the strength uh, from the group was to look after our people. So we, we were able to open Le Pavillon, we were able to reopen Daniel. And, uh, and uh, so those were really um, some of the key learning for me during this uh, changing time. Danielle. And for me, I think it was, um, you know, hope. Hope, we were always, you know, doing a lot of things with the hope that you know, we, it's going to be okay. We're going to get through it. We, we have to um, navigate through the challenges and, um, and also hope that, you know, our staff can find security and safety at the same time, always going through this. And 
as we were bringing more staff and more staff, but also, you know, planning this new restaurant, Le Pavillon, and yeah. while trying to also protect our own business. I think um, we were really hoping that we could keep the course. And I think we did as we, you know, Le Pavillon was supposed to open early 21 and we mm-hmm. opened in May uh, because we got delayed during the major uh, crisis that, uh, you know, many trades could not work together uh, during the build out. So they had to be spaced out. And so that gave us like two months, three months delay. But um, we were hoping that we could make it uh, on time and take the risk. I think we we really learned to take the risk. Of course, some of my friends were maybe more challenged by their neighborhood to be able to reopen, mm-hmm. or maybe some of them didn't want to change their standard or their vision of their restaurant. I think for for us, we took the challenge to do what was best for our customer and for our staff and for our business. And that we will figure it out later how to get back to center and, and, and do exactly what we want to do with it. And I think it really worked out well. Um, we were, um, but um, you know, they, it seemed like it's not going away fast enough, right. uh, our challenges with uh, COVID. But we are learning to live with it, work with it, and move on with it. And I think uh, we, um, I think, you know, like many of my colleagues, they had to pivot and figure it out a way to um, stay strong and relevant. Yeah, so I want to talk to you about Le Pavillon. Um, you know, opened in Midtown Manhattan a few months ago. It's perhaps the grandest restaurant to open in the city in, you know, more than a year and probably a symbol of the city's recovery, as I mentioned before. So when you, when the wheels were set in motion for creating Le Pavillon, what was the inspiration behind the restaurant's concept? I know there's some history there. <laughs> yes, um, the name came after the design, but uh, to me, because there's only one restaurant in this giant building, uh, which is one of the most beautiful new tower midtown next to Grand Central. Mm -hmm. And one Vanderbilt, um, you know, the word pavillon in French is a place where you go to entertain, to be entertained, to celebrate, uh, to to party. And... um, in 1939 in New York, there was the World Fair and there was Le Pavillon Francais, which was the fine dining restaurant, which at that time, France exported the, one of the finest restaurants in Paris to New York, Drouin. And that restaurant lasted the time of the World Fair, which was a year or something. And then at the end of the World Fair, all the staff, including the manager, the chefs, didn't go back to, to France. They stay in America, they stay in New York, and they opened many restaurants. And one of the managers opened Le Pavillon, Henri Soule. And that restaurant became very famous in the uh, 50s, 60s, and 70s. And it, uh, but mostly 50s and 60s for at least 25 years. And, and, um, and the late 40s. And, and um, and it became the benchmark 
to an entire generation of restaurant who had opened in the 50s that was named with Le Oula. So that was La Grenouille, La Caravelle, La Côte Basque, the, Le Périgord, right, right. Le Cirque, uh, Le Chantilly. And, and um, when I came to New York City in the early 80s, I was questioning a little bit the history of French dining in New York. And Le Pavillon always came back as the reference to the past. I knew Pierre Franet very well, who was the chef there for many years. And Pierre Franet was also a contributor to the New York Times and, um, and a chef. And he was telling me a lot of story about Le Pavillon. And uh, so once we designed the restaurant and we choose Ize Weinfeld to do the restaurant, and he really wanted to bring a combination of nature and architecture. And a pavilion is something which is always connected to nature. Usually it's in a park or it's in a, it's in a place where um, there's either a chateau in the garden and it's an, a little side uh, building to the chateau, to a chateau, to a, to a, a city hall or something. And, mm -hmm. um, and so, Little by little, this name, as we were, we had the list of 50 names. And the one I felt was the most connected to New York and to French dining and to me as a French chef was Le Pavillon, because that name was not used for 30 years or 40 years. And, um, and it was synonymous of a period in time in New York City. And right. so, I uh, kind of took the daring decision to call it Le Pavillon, and I think it's very nice because... Did you have to run it by anybody before? Uh... No, no, okay. no. He didn't have any children. I don't think anyone hold on that name, and, and it's a common name. So it's Le Pavillon by Daniel Boulier. So right. they, like uh, you can call it Le Pavillon by whoever you want, uh, but uh, at least, you know, once you appropriate the name and and we have protected our names and all that but uh it was not at all protected the name and so um that's kind of bringing a little bit of history but at the same time in a new millennium in a new century and in in certainly a different new york than what maybe the original one was yeah, and, and the, like you said before, the design blends nature and architecture with this lush greenery, live trees, you know, foliage found throughout the dining room, you know, with people forced to stay at home and maintain physical distance during the pandemic, this seemed, this seemed like the perfect escape. Very much, very much. And, uh, and the menu is also a departure from uh, maybe what I've done before in New York, who, I mean, not a departure, but a continuity, I would say. We always had a lot of seafood on our menu and always tried to use seasonality and, and locality for our menu. And so I wanted to design a, a menu that was mostly seafood and vegetable. And so 50% of the menu is seafood and most of it come local. And then there's 40% of vegetable, which is seasonal and local as well. Uh, that our dishes were really composed as a meal. And then it's not just a, an afterthought of a garnish that can be turned into a vegetarian plate. And, um, and then there's 10% meat for mm -hmm. 
you know, the people who still, and I like a good cut of meat. So, yeah, so that's a good balance. And uh, the wine list is French and American with a strong American list as well, and Champagne. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's very interesting. And I think people, it don't matter the generation, it don't matter the gender, it don't matter the the sort of the status, the social status, everybody feel good, everybody love it, from children to older people, even I even had guests who say it, and they used to go to the old pavilion. Uh-huh. Uh, so they're not too young anymore, but they're still remembering. <laughs> but you know, anybody who um, was young, and I mean, many, many guests tell me that their grandparents used to take them as a kid there. So that was like the 70s, the, the 60s mostly, the 60s. So I guess if I grew up as a kid and my parents were going to fancy French restaurant <laughs> in New York, maybe I would have remembered that as a kid. <laughs> yeah. So I wanted to ask you about the future of fine dining. You know, we're clearly moving toward a new normal. And while no one knows exactly what that is, you know, the outlines are starting take shape you know pandemic rehabilitation will require years of creative solutions there has been and probably will continue to be a profound shift in what customers want need and expect out of a restaurant experience so where does fine dining evolve from here i think fine dining has never been better fine dining has never been more in demand and now what is the definition of fine dining that's fine dining has to be pretentious and fancy and stuck up and, and hyper expensive. No, I mean, I think there's a lot of talent who come out of fine dining and create casual restaurants and that create a casual fine dining. And then there's still a lot of restaurants who are um, in New York or the biggest city of, in America or in the world that, People make it a destination, make it a place to, to, to go. And I think that the advantage of a big city like New York is that we have a lot of regulars. We appreciate what we do for them and come on a constant basis. And they never, ever think that they want to go to a fine dining restaurant. They just want to go to Daniel or they want to go to Le Bernardin or they want to go to 11 Madison Park, or they want to go to Gisawa in Paris, or they, they want to go to Istanbul um, Mental in London, or I mean, there's, uh, you know, fine dining, um, it's crazy. Uh, people are uh, sort of passionate about fine dining. And, uh, and a lot of young people are learning and becoming hardcore fine dining follower. You see more young diners, fine diners, who came out for the pandemic that are sticking around? A lot, of course. I have customers, and they used to bring their kid at Danielle. Danielle is 28 years old this year. Hmm. And they used to bring their kid, and the kid still remember my bean soup and the the bean (laughs) soup outside on the sidewalk cafe that they had at Cafe Boulou. Or at Danielle, at Danielle when I opened there on 76th Street. And today the kids are 25 year old and come with their girlfriends. And, and, and you know, and the funny thing is then every time we have a, a pregnant lady or someone just had a baby, 
uh, or expecting, uh, we give them a bib and on the bib, it say, I'd rather eat that Danielle. That's great. I have hundreds of pictures of babies who have dined. Not, not, they didn't dine at Danielle, but their mother <laughs> dined at Danielle and they end up with a bib. Or sometimes if we have, if they come with their baby, uh, we give them a bib. And, um, and I think this is kind of, you know, as they grow up and uh, they, they know that when they were very, very small, they used to come to Danielle. Um, they kind of are interested to discover Danielle. So it's, uh, it's wonderful to see the rotation of generation. So I want to ask um, both of you this question. So aside from the Pavillon, what, what are you most excited about over the next year? What I'm the most excited about is about it's for next week to, um, for us to reopen Russian Danielle. Totally agree. <laughs> and is, you know, Danielle is this institution and yep. what we've done, I'm very proud of what we've done the last two years but I'm so ready to turn the page and to reopen indoor dining at Danielle in this new beautiful room <laughs> designed by Adam Tiani. Yeah. Our partnership with La Ligue. I mean, the design is, is, is spectacular. And, you know, every day we, with Danielle, we walk through the renovation and it's starting to come together. It's so beautifully. And I can't completely, completely new menu. Also, uh, of course, absolutely. And, uh, of course, it's staying in the vein of Daniel. We're not making a 360 with the with the with the cuisine, right? But uh, I would say, and it's uh, constant. Daniel has always been in constant evolution, and uh, this is our third rendition of the design. Uh, in the 23 years we have been here at uh, 65th Street, so every kind of 10 to 12 years, we uh, 11 years we. Uh, create uh, a new experience, but also we rethink uh, the direction of our menus and all that we want to go. And um, and I think uh, I'm very excited to start this new decade of uh, the new Daniel, of course, with Sebastian and the team. Uh, Chef Eddie Leroux, who has been with us for more than 15 years, and we have also Chef Jean-Francois Bruel, uh, the corporate chef who is between Le Pavillon and Daniel, who has been with me also for 24 years or 25 years. So we, and, and then there's many other, uh, Sean Velez, the pastry chef. Everybody is excited to bring a new menu, to, uh, to bring, um, you know, um, a new experience to our guests. And yet we, we are who we are and we want to remain who we are because we know why guests are coming for us. And, you know, it's our cuisine, it's our service, it's our, it's our approach to um, making people, you know, very comfortable and very happy with, our, with the work we do for them. I'm, I'm looking forward to that personally. So the last question I want to ask both of you um, is the luxury item question, which I ask all my guests. So if you were stranded on a deserted island and you could only have one luxury item with you, what would that luxury item be? It can't be any form of transportation or it can't be anything that requires mobile service. It's just you, the sand, a few palm trees surrounded by water. What would that one luxury item be? Who wants I'm, to go first? I'm laughing so hard because I just don't see Danielle stranded on an island. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, so for me, it'll be a fishing road, I guess. You know, if I'm stranded in an island, if I got a fishing road, I'll start a new career. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> survive on good food. Uh, and Daniel, I don't know what you what you will do or what you will be. I think for me, it'll be a lounging chair. <laughs> <laughs> and i hope good because, suns and sunscreen i hope too yeah no absolutely i can put it under the tree <laughs> i hope some local will cook for me uh, once in a while i'll get involved with it <laughs> both very good answers uh chef daniel baloo award-winning chef and rest restaurateur and sebastian silvestri ceo of the dynex group thank you so much for joining me on the luxury item good luck with all the openings the pavillon and restaurant danielle very excited um and thank you so much again thank you scott thank you so much look forward to cook for you that's it for this episode of the luxury item podcast thank you so much for listening if you found this useful and entertaining, I would be really grateful if you can share it with a friend or colleague. I would love it if you subscribe so you never miss an episode. And while you're there, be sure to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It really helps other listeners find us. The Luxury Item Podcast is a production of Silvertone Consulting. I'm your host, Scott Kerr. Until next time.